Hello, friends. It's Leanne here. Welcome to Europe First. Hello, friends. Thank you so much for joining me today. I just wanted to take a minute before we begin to thank you for being here over the past few months. As of today, 26 episodes have been published on the podcast, and I'm so grateful. Producing this podcast has been a real joy to me. And of all the things I've done professionally, this is among the most rewarding. From the beginning, my hope for this podcast was to finally have conversations that really matter to me and in the process, educate, uplift, inspire, and above all else, build a community where we can learn and grow together. And we're doing it. If you want to stay up to date on what's happening on the podcast and news stories coming up on the blog, head on over to museonthemountain.com and get yourself signed up for weekly updates. And while you're at it, if you could like and subscribe to this podcast and share your favorite episodes, it would mean the world to me. And as for today's episode, my special guest is me. I'm coming to you today solo on the mic to share my thoughts around the process of healing, coming home to yourself, and how that looks out in the real world while interacting with other real people, especially the ones we love. There is a lot of mainstream talk about doing this kind of work, but very few people talk about how we relate differently to the people we love and the world around us in the process. It can get messy and change can be unsettling. So today I want to talk about tools to help navigate this powerful and brave work of coming home to yourself. So without further delay, let's get started. I wanted to record a dedicated episode about what happens when we get healed and we do this really hard work of coming home to ourselves and what actually happens in real life when we do this. There's a lot of conversation and gurus and self-help idealists and therapists that are giving us tips and tricks to begin our healing, but very few people are talking about what happens during that healing to our relationships. So we like the idea of living our lives from the inside out instead of the outside in. We love the idea that we should be more centered in ourselves, that we should find our own happiness and all of these things that really we want to do, right? We want to feel better. We want to come home to ourselves. We want to prioritize ourselves. But there's a reality around all of this self-actualization that when we focus on the positive outcome of healing ourselves, there is a domino effect of experiencing real change in how we see ourselves and therefore operate in the world, and how that affects the relationships around us. So I really have categorized three types of relationships. There's our primary relationships with people like our spouse, our partner, our kids, and our really close family. There's our secondary relationships that are friends, bosses, co-workers, people we see regularly and who are important to us but may not live in our home or have a familial connection to us. And the third tier of relationships are acquaintances and more distant friends and family that we don't see very often or who don't have that big of an impact on our lives. So this is a big topic for me because anytime we start to get real with ourselves, things change. And our hope is obviously that they change for the better, but initially the reality is they might not. 
things might get really hard, dirty, messy, uncomfortable first. That is the reality of change. It dislodges patterns. It disrupts relationships. It disrupts our normal operating skill set. And this is what we want, right? This is the goal, is to disrupt the unhealthy behaviors and patterns and to get us to a place of healthy behaviors and patterns. It's really that simple. However, (laughs) it's not that simple. A lot of us don't want to do the work because it's scary. It changes us. It changes the air in our homes. It changes our relationships. It changes other people's expectations of us. And it changes your relationship to what you want and what is most important to you. So what does finding love for ourselves look like on kind of a day-to-day journey of doing this work? For me, the conversation around finding love for ourselves really begins about relationship. And the first relationship is the one you have with yourself. And the secondary relationships in a bigger picture are the ones we have with other people. So our primary relationships and how we operate with other people in the world is an imprint of our family and our parental dynamic. We are typically taught as children to align with what makes our parents happy, right? So we learn that others' needs come before our own. So we hear things like, stop crying, be quiet, do it anyway, don't be a baby, you'll be fine, because I said so. These are all requirements of us aligning how we feel or experience the world with other people's comforts. So our imprint is in keeping other people happy. And in doing so, it keeps us safe and loved, right? So this is our imprint as a child. So we turn into adults that are afraid to be unliked or unloved, which makes us willing to spend our lives pretending to be somebody we aren't. We do things we really don't want to do. We say things that aren't really true for us. We engage in relationships that aren't a fit. We do things to keep ourselves safe and loved, even when they're not good for us. So changing these patterns is big work. It can be scary and disruptive, but it's work worth doing. So I wanted to talk today to those of us out there who are doing this work, who are facing our fears around who we are and who are in the trenches of this fear or who, or for those of us who really want to do the work, who don't really know what that means, but are willing to try and are willing to engage in this conversation and in this healing. So In this episode, we're going to talk about the steps that I think need to be in place to move towards your truer self first. I want to talk about how doing that changes the relationships around you. And I'd love to talk about some of the pillars that need to be in place in order to do this work. And of course, what the beautiful outcome of this is. It's not all hard work. There are the most incredible moments. So I'd like to start with the three steps that I think are most important to moving towards a truer version of yourself. And the very first step in this is is understanding it's more important for me to like me than for you to like me. So once I understood I need to like me first, and then I'll worry about whether or not you like me or that matters at all, that helps these three steps to really be much easier. So the first one is not adjusting to others' comfort. What that means is you can understand other people's comforts or discomforts and their priorities for themselves. You can acknowledge those priorities they have for themselves, but you still, your priorities for yourself are still first. You are prioritizing your needs first, which means not just me, I'm the only one who matters here, but that me too. I matter and I might matter first. 
it's not always practical when you have kids and when you have an emergency situation or you have something incredibly pressing or there's somebody in real crisis. But I'm talking about day-to-day operation here where we are prioritizing ourselves, our emotional well-being, and then we are able to attend to others. And the third pillar to that is really a daily ritual. I prioritize checking in with myself, breathing, connecting with myself physically. How do I feel in my body? What are the things that are stressing me out today and what can I do about them? I'll tell you a story. I started doing yoga every morning and I realized that when my husband would come in from working in the garage to kind of help get the ball rolling on our morning routine with the kids, I would get this anxiety about him coming in the house. I could feel it rise up as I could hear him coming into the house. And I was there breathing and doing my yoga. And one morning I was like, what is that anxiety? And before I would have calibrated if if I felt that there was an urgency about how he was coming in, or I would drop out of yoga and I would come assist in helping him feel like there was a confidence around our morning routine. So I decided maybe not to do that one morning. What would happen if I just stayed in my ritual, in my morning practice, and I allowed him to come to me if he was feeling unwell about what was happening or if he was feeling anxiety about what was happening in our morning routine? Maybe I started my routine later. So our whole routine for the morning was a little bit later. So I decided to stay and just sit and to know that even though I'd started our routine later in the morning, I was confident we were still going to get out on time. So instead of needing to convince him of that same thing, I decided I was going to wait and see if he needed help understanding what our timing looked like for that morning. And it was very interesting because it turned out most of the time he wasn't stressed out when he came in the house. He was just fine. He was just going to help get the ball rolling while I finished yoga. But I assumed all kinds of things about that dynamic when he came into the house. And I realized a lot of that was an imprint from my childhood, that when somebody came into the room, there was an expectation that I needed to align with their needs first. So by prioritizing myself, having a daily ritual and pausing, checking in with what I was feeling and understanding where this anxiety was coming up in me, I realized that this was a pattern I was actually creating in my current everyday relationship with my husband. Wow. So yeah, no more of that. Just stay, regulate myself. And if he needs input from me, he can come to me. So how does loving yourself change the relationships that are around you, your daily relationships, either your primary, secondary, or your third tier relationships? And I would say that the closer you get to your true nature, your authentic self, the more likely you are to have the need to reconcile some of your relationships. People might act uncomfortable. You're going to get happier. You're going to get more centered. You're going to get more sure of yourself. And that can make people feel uncomfortable. Maybe they're going to want to make you feel guilty for that. Maybe they're going to say something snarky or try and poke you and get you to react. You didn't act like this before. You used to say yes. You used to be fun. I mean, all of these things may come at you. And that the temptation, of course, is to want to be included, liked, loved, to not trigger anybody's bad feelings. You want to feel like you belong. You want to make people feel good around you, even when it's not a fit. There might be fear of missing out. That FOMO thing where you're like, what if I say no? What if I don't want to? What if I take care of myself? It can feel really lonely. 
And that is something that a lot of times we don't get prepared for when we do this work, that it can feel very lonely, disjointed, disconnected, because what we're doing is we are actually cutting a lot of those strings that tie us to other people. And we're saying, what serves me? And that initial feeling of lonely feels very deep and sometimes very dark, but it is a natural part of the process. And so when these feelings come up, that is the real work. And I would dare say that the real work around those feelings is not to do any extreme reacting. Act from a place of real grounded knowing yourself. And from that place, you can just keep coming back to your breath, coming back to checking in, coming back to your physical body and your emotional state. And then from that place, you can allow other people to react. You can honor their feelings around their reactions. But because you're caring for yourself, you don't have to try and fix them. So the boundary that you're laying down is that you're maybe not going out tonight, or maybe you don't want to go on that thing that you always go on. But the skill set you're developing is in dealing with the reaction to you setting that boundary. So I would say if you're embarking on this work or you're in the midst of this work, you should know that people are going to feel uncomfortable and you yourself are going to feel uncomfortable. And those people that are going to feel uncomfortable are sometimes even people you don't even know that well. When people sense that change, they can do some pretty crappy things to try and get you to line back up so that they don't feel challenged. Because really what change does is it mirrors to other people that they can change too. And change is scary. And so you embarking on this work, this work that we do to improve ourselves, to feel better in our own skin, to to come home to ourselves, really can be a triggering element to other people. I have a friend who has done the work. She's walking back to herself. She's finding her own peace and happiness. And she gave me permission to share a story about a social media post that she put up. It was during the new year and she was sharing her word for the year, which was me. And along with this text was a video of her just rocking out, just absolutely having a blast, looking natural, looking fun and comfortable in her own skin. And one of the comments on this post was, of course it is. It was a girl named Amy who decided to troll this beautiful post about how my friend was coming home to herself and she was going to spend the year focusing on that. And Amy, poor Amy, got triggered by that and said, yeah, of course it is. So Amy was an acquaintance, not really a friend. And her comment was just subtle enough to be cryptic and totally annoying because you can read it a couple of different ways. You can read it as, of course it is. You do you. Or you can read it as, of course it is. It's always about you. But Amy's comment is actually a gift in this process. And I'll tell you why. These are the kind of people who are easy to practice on because the fallout is minimal. They're a distant acquaintance or quote-unquote friend. They have very little impact on your daily life. But man, can they be a mirror to you to say, aha, you're making people feel uncomfortable, which means you're actually doing the work. So my friend sat with this comment for a few days, almost didn't comment back, and then decided she was going to. And her reply back was so brilliant. It was, Amy was taken. So what I love about this is like, yeah, of course my word is me. 
your your you and your name are already taken. So if the whole point of this work is to walk back to ourselves, I'm not going to walk back to you. I'm going to walk back to me. So what I loved about this comment was it was just enough to send a message to this person that it's not about you. And whatever this triggers in you is yours, not mine. You are merely in this process handing back to people that which is theirs to process and heal. You're already busy doing the work that is for yourself. You do not have to try and also do that work for other people. And this is key. And this is different than loving the people around you and honoring the feelings they're having about the work you're doing. That has a place. But first and foremost is honoring your work and the feelings you're having. And then secondarily, you can get to the people that are closest to you and having a real experience about how you're pivoting. It's okay to allow these kinds of distant people to have this experience, to feel these feelings, and then to fade into the dark. For minor relationships, there doesn't have to be any ceremony around them ending. Because here's the thing, if your most honest and authentic self triggers others, if you being happy, fulfilled, joyful, free, if that makes people resent you or feel snarky, then my friend, that is not your problem. Your only job is to take care of your side of the street, be your best version, and let everyone else handle their own stuff. And that's why those outlying relationships and acquaintances are so key for practicing this kind of shift that you have back to yourself. It really can be a very low consequence place to be like, yeah, it is about me. Okay, so now that we have other people handling their own stuff and we're handling our side of the street, I want to talk about four expectations and tools I have in place while doing this work. It's actually two expectations and two tools. The first tool is a daily ritual of checking in with my body. I pause, I breathe, I have affirmations, and I stop and listen, check in with my emotions, find out what's stressing me out, really just have a moment of pause every morning to prepare for my day. The second tool I have is a friend who understands what it is I'm trying to do and supports me. So for you to have a partner or a friend to help you navigate through those times when this healing and this work gets tough. I have a friend who has also come alongside me doing this work and I was having a crazy bad day full of self-doubt. So I called her and I said, I'm really bummed out today. And she said something really wise that has stuck with me, and that is, she said, you're just at a dip in the wave, and the wave's going to come back up, and you're going to feel better, but right now you're just in the dip, and there's not a whole lot you can do about it. Let it wash over you, and then let it pass, and I just love that. So having somebody you can check in with and help you to feel like you're not crazy, you are loved, you are doing the hard work. And then one of the tools that I have acquired and gotten actually quite good at is to allow discomfort in other people. What this does is when you pause and allow discomfort in other people, it prevents you from rushing in to fix things. It prevents you from rushing in and saying things that you'll regret or volunteering for things you regret or making other people's discomfort your problem. It also helps you find your center so that you know how you want to respond, what you want to say, and how you can do that in an empowered way. So one of the tools is to get comfortable feeling uncomfortable. Just expect it because you're going to start laying down some boundaries and people aren't really going to know what to do about it. So it's okay if, if we sit in discomfort for a few minutes. 
And the second tool that I've really tried to cultivate is before saying yes, pause and ask myself why. If I'm being asked to do something or participate in something or to give my time, my first question is, why would this be a yes? And why would this be a no? So instead of rushing in to volunteer for things that I don't really want to do or have time for, or instead of being really quick to say no because of some fear or apprehension I might have, it's just as simple as saying, can I get back to you? Or let me think about that. Or give me a minute. And then I think, why would I say yes? Or why would I say no? And that is really a critical moment for me to evaluate how I feel about something and such a fantastic tool to have in this work. And in this way, between the ritual of checking in, checking with a friend when needed, allowing other people's discomfort and pausing before we say yes, we're actually programming our brains for calm and assurance. We create ourselves as a touch point for our own confidence. And then we also have someone in our life to mirror back that we are not crazy, that we are healing and we are coming alive and that this work can be messy, but it's work worth doing. And then here, here, when we do that work is the delicious part. Here is what the potential outcome is, is that we find a greater belonging to ourselves first. And what happens when we find that first is that decisions and commitments and relationships become so much clearer because you can feel in your body what works for you. Because you are tapping into that body and in that emotion and into that physical space every day, you start to feel what doesn't work for you anymore. You start to know and feel first in your body and in your emotions, then in your head, what feels good. And then you can move into those things. You can move into those things, those relationships, those commitments, those priorities. And then you experience something that is the opposite of fear of missing out or FOMO. And that is this newly coined phrase, which I love so much, is JOMO, the joy of missing out. Because you know what fills you and edifies you and brings you joy and and builds you up, because you start to know those things first, you can joyfully say no to things that don't belong to you. You can joyfully say yes or no. And because you're going to do the work where those relationships that aren't serving you kind of fade into the dark or they adjust because they're people who love you and want to adjust with you, that that joy of missing out becomes positive, fun, like, heck yeah, I'm staying home and being with myself. Heck yeah, I'm prioritizing my family. Heck yeah, I'm prioritizing this thing, a hike by myself, doing art, meditating, going for a walk, taking care of some things on my do list that are stressing me out. I will get back to you. I will be a more joyful, whole person. From the moment we get up in the morning to going to work, to having conversations with our loved ones, to how we operate in the world, we want that to be a joyful experience. So having said all that, start first with your own joy and happiness and allow that to attract people who are a match for you. That includes employers, co-workers, friends, family, primary relationships. And if there's primary relationships like with children or spouses that are not going to be people that fade into black, know that healing yourself also invites healing in them. Being a true version of yourself invites them to be a true version of themselves. That creating space for breath and healing and light and joy and coming home to yourself brings all of that to other people. So when we do the brave work of coming home to ourselves, 
the people around us adjust to. It's scary business because it means standing your ground, loving firmly, seeing clearly even when it's really uncomfortable. It's hard work, but oh my gosh, does it feel good to be rid of all of those things that don't serve you anymore and replace it with joy and energy and a well-being that becomes a wellspring that serves the people around you. And that is the hope for all of us, that we are so centered and so sure of who we are that we become a wellspring and a gift to other people. And that is what I'd love to encourage today. I am out here rooting for you. I am cheering you on. And I know you can do this too. I hope you make it a great day. Thanks for joining me today. Thank you so much for joining me on today's episode. Here's a few gems to remember. A good place to start when doing work around self-improvement is to decide early that it's more important for me to like me than for you to like me. Not adjusting to others' comfort is key. Prioritizing yourself isn't selfish. It just means you get priority too. Daily ritual is a helpful way to check in and remember what it is you're working towards. Find a friend or partner who supports your growth and will support you when it gets tough. Before saying yes, ask why, and let your yeses be sacred and your noes be kind and firm. And one more thing before you go. Would you like to advertise on this podcast? Get in touch through youreupfirst at gmail.com for stats on why this is the place to be for a big impact for your advertising dollars. Talk soon. If you enjoyed this episode or if someone you know might enjoy it, please share freely and don't forget to like and subscribe to help our content rise to the top. Until next time, take care and I'll see you on the next episode of You're Up First. 